The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. On the line now we have Davina Montgomery. Good morning, how are you? Good morning, Mitch. I'm all the better for speaking to you. Oh, thank you very much. Good to be with you for the final time this year. It's a good opportunity to reflect. Um, Just before the 10 o'clock news, we were talking to a psychologist just about how Christmas can be such a stressful time and trying to take the stress out of Christmas. I'm just wondering, do you have any tips, any things that you do in your household to try and make it a stress-free and enjoyable day? Yeah, we do have a few things that we do, actually, Mitch. We set, we actually spend quite a lot of time talking to the family that we either are catching up with or that we can't catch up with on the day um, and those close people in the month or two beforehand just to be really clear that everyone knows what's happening at what times and what people need to bring and, you know, that sort of stuff, just putting the basics in place in a nice, gentle sort of way. We've learned over the years because we have quite a big family and Mm. they come from lots of different directions and we have uh, Christmas for us tends to expand, you know, a good five days. But we like to know that everyone is sort of knows where they need to be and how that's going to work and who's going to be there because it's always the little things at Christmas that trip you up. You know, it's that little moment of going, oh, I didn't, no one told me that we were supposed to be here at this time or, oh, I thought I was doing a ham. Um, it's those sort of little things. And because we're all, you know, overwhelmed and stressed and tired after a long year and all of the wonderful emotions of Christmas, those are the things that I think can really tip you over the years. So that was our tip over the year. We've learnt to, to get out in front of it and, and plan the little things and... And then just sit back and let it all unfold and just enjoy it for what it is. Because, you know, you never know what's going to happen at Christmas. It's always exciting. Um, but if you just sit there and take it all in, tell you what, the idea of sitting around with some family and having a bit of a feed and seeing the kids run around together and not having to do anything other than be in that place for half a day or a day is kind of my dream at the moment, to be honest. That's true. When it works out, it's wonderful. But uh, yeah, great communication, the secret to a good Christmas. Who would have thought? <laughs> well, that and making sure that, you know, you, you get the, the recipe that you like gets done on the day as well. I kind of, you know, get in early and get the, get the food that you really want to be there and then everything works out, hey? Yeah, fantastic. Well, it's been an incredible year. I mean, I think when we spoke perhaps this time last year, there was hope that 2021 was going to be a much better year than what 2020 was. But I think if anything, it's been more difficult, more gruelling. The lockdown restrictions have been harsher and we've probably spent... I, Pretty sure we've spent more time in lockdown, but I could be wrong on that. Um, but uh, it's just been, I suppose, very fatiguing dealing with it all. So what do you think 2021 will be remembered for? I, I think fatigue is the word, Mitch. I think it's actually the perfect word. It was such a tiring year. And I do remember, I remember that conversation between you and I, that first combo back in, I think it was January, end of January um, in 2021. And even that last conversation, this conversation that we had this time last year, that really hopeful, we were coming into the warmer weather, we were seeing the numbers go down, we were, you know, we were looking at zero, all of those things, hopeful that we'd be able to travel. Um, and of course, it didn't absolutely work out that way. So we've, look, we've all learned an awful lot, haven't we? Not just about viruses and how to manage them and pandemics, but we've learned an awful lot about each other, about how we work, about how we live, about the stresses that we can get through, the stresses that we really can't get through. Um, but I, I, again, I'm going to say it, I almost don't want to after <laughs> this time last year, but I am, I am almost positive that next year will indeed be a much better year than this year. I hope so. Um, I, I genuinely hope too, though, that the one thing that we do get to take away from all of that fatigue 
and that sense of being overwhelmed all the time is that we give ourselves the space to be okay with being busy and to be okay with saying no, that we can't do everything at the time when other people might expect it because that's sort of, I think, been the overwhelming sentiment of the last couple of months, particularly as we've started to open up more, is that there's this intense sense of overwhelm for so many people and that's really damaging, that's really worrying um, and that's something that we cannot afford to just let slide, we actually need to get out in front of it and say, no, 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 this, this is going to be that lesson. We're going to look after people. We're going to accept our limits um, and we're all going to get, we're going to carry everyone through this because otherwise it's it's going to have some impacts that are unintended but can be very, very serious. Yeah, it's actually shocking uh, just looking at how my calendar's rapidly filled up. Uh, as soon as it's December, suddenly all these things start to happen that weren't there in November. And there is a bit of a fear of missing out. And I'd imagine everyone goes through it. You want to catch up with all the people that you've had a great year with, um, but obviously you can't do everything. No, that's right. And, and I think, you know, there's a trap there in thinking that because there's so many things that we haven't been able to do that we haven't been doing anything but of course just going through this process has been exhausting you know this is this is all new territory for all of us so that comes with an intense sense sense of overwhelm it's tiring um and it takes a whole lot of mental energy and emotional energy so we're all kind of a little bit traumatized by the the last two years in varying degrees um and i think just owning that and saying you know what it has been a really tough couple of years let's let's just be a little bit more sensible about what our expectations might be particularly for people around us and i say that specifically in terms of business and people's work environment because that's where the, the overwhelm could come in really hard and it has been coming in really hard um, and everyone wants everything done and everyone thinks that their thing is the most important thing but when you add it up, if everyone's saying the same thing at the same time, then that's not going to work because no one no one can do everything at once. None of us can. Um, we need to just be, put some reasonable limits in place and just be a little bit mindful that everyone is in the same boat. It's not just you out there feeling overwhelmed and wanting everything done and feeling panicked that it's not going to get done it is everyone so a little bit of care on each of our part will flow through to all of us and i've actually heard workplaces are considering how to run christmas parties and things this year because sometimes they can bring problems to organizations and people uh they get out of control sometimes but when you look at the last year or two years people have been a bit out of practice with social interactions and the social events and it's making i think workplaces consider what they do and how they do it and i think that's quite an interesting conversation interesting reflection to have like you know how much alcohol should there be at these things those sorts of things yeah, absolutely. Look, that's a, that's an enduring conversation, isn't it, Mitch? I mean, that's something that really has been on the radar for the last particularly five years, but probably even stretching back to 10 years ago. Um, there was a raft, basically, at a period of time, there was a raft of lawsuits and, and work safe actions that came out of Christmas parties. Um, essentially, if you hold a Christmas party and you are supplying alcohol or allowing alcohol to be at that Christmas party, if you don't have a defined end of that party and then the expectation that everyone is off in their private time, if that thing goes all night, then you are liable for anything that happens, not only there, but also on the way people's home. Um, so really, really important. And obviously, you know, alcohol and tiredness and a little bit of over-exuberance can end up with all sorts of, mm. with all sorts of things. Some of them can be lovely. Most of them can be a little bit worrying. So there, there is a risk in there. Um, that risk was recognised. Plans were put in place. I think most people are pretty good at it now.
vast majority of people are pretty good at saying, okay, we're going to be here for three hours or four hours. You know, here's the, here's the parameters. We'll make sure people can get home safely. Um, for business owners and for people organising these parties, doing a little bit of planning on that transport to and from is really, really important and that can actually save an awful lot of trouble. You know, a taxi voucher or a or an Uber paid for can save you an awful lot of issues down the track. So uh, that would be my, my wise tip. But I think for a lot of us, you know, look, just... I don't know about you, Mitch. I think if I had two two drinks, I'd fall asleep anyway. So I don't think I'm a danger to anyone right now other than me falling asleep in the car potentially. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so don't drink and drive. No. Uh, but, yeah, but I think that's that's the thing is I think there's there will be some big some big times out and we're seeing that now. You, you know, uh, we've been through Melbourne, we've been through Geelong on the weekends and it's pumping. People are out and about and it's that sense of, you know, of that freedom. But, yeah, just... Just that edge of mindfulness that just says, yeah, this is this is all a bit fresh and we haven't done this for a while. Let's try not to get too stupid. That's exactly right. Now, in terms of COVID, there's a couple of developments. First of all, Omicron. It's just amazing how you, know, you can be talking about international travel and things on one day and then the next day you hear about Omicron, then give it a few days and suddenly they're already talking about potentially making some border changes, which is concerning for anyone who'd planned travel arrangements because we were told, you know, you can plan with some confidence now and can book with some confidence. So that's on the horizon. And you've also got this update to the vaccination program that um, from a certain date, 5 to 11-year-olds will be able to get vaccinated. I think it's in time for them returning to school. And uh, just what that's going to look like in terms of the vaccinated economy, I'm not 100% sure. So a few developments to be wary of there. Yeah, look, Omicron um, means that we're getting towards the end of the alphabet. That's interesting. So well, we're, we're learning the Greek alphabet, alphabet, aren't we? Yes, hopefully. Getting I just don't know what happened to um, all the letters between Delta and Omicron, but anyway. No, none of us do. None of us do. <laughs> um, but... Look, it's this is the natural progression of viruses. This is what viruses do, uh, particularly when they're in, you know, in large population areas, lots of people moving around. Um, that that lovely for a virus, that lovely mix of people who are vaccinated and not vaccinated, that makes them very happy because that's very easy to mutate in that. And that's exactly how you would set up a science experiment or a laboratory experiment to try and to try and mutate a virus. You would pretty much do what we've been doing for the last year or so. Um, so very, what's fantastic about that and again about the children coming to that over fives being able to come into that mix is that the very, very high vaccination rates that we have ended up achieving in Australia, you know, we're looking at, at over 95%, which is really getting into the same sort of numbers as what we have with our childhood vaccination programs, which is, which is the best in the world. There is nowhere that does that better than we do, uh, which means that we have long-term health benefits for everyone. All of those kids who've been vaccinated, we all carry that through our entire life. So viruses that affect other people in other parts of the world just aren't going to affect us in the same way. Um, I suspect that we're going to be a little bit in this pace in this space with this particular virus, um, with the COVID or the SARS-CoV-2. And we are seeing it mutate. It will continue to mutate. Uh, for those people who are a little bit unfamiliar with these sort of respiratory viruses, this is very, very typical. This is why we have flu vaccines with three or four strains of virus in them that change every year. And really, those those vaccines are developed sort of six-monthly rolling basis because we have, of course, northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere winters to deal with. So they'll get tweaked. From the northern winters down to come into the southern into the southern winters. Um, this is what viruses do. These sort of viruses they change. The great advantage of all this uh, that I, I truly believe we will see within the next few years is that all of the 
endeavour and all of the support for research in this space has been so extraordinary. The amount of money and resources and, and brilliant minds that have been thrown at this will deliver a whole new raft of treatments. And we haven't had those treatments for respiratory viruses really ever. The only thing that we had was, of course, the um, was penicillin, which is for bacterial infection and some of the flus, uh, and we had vaccines for, for virus. But that's it. And those vaccines for a very long time were exactly the same vaccine, essentially, you know, putting it, putting it into a, growing them in eggs, basically, and using a, using a chimpanzee virus as a vector and, and doing that. And that was pretty much the same thing in the rotate. They went, oh, look, it's working. We don't really need to change it too much. We're losing a couple of thousand people to every year. We can deal with that strange metrics isn't it when you start to look at it in those numbers mm. but that was the thinking that it, this was okay we we're managing this this was working we didn't really need to change anything so that driver at the political and the funding level just wasn't really quite there to give it the big push but i tell you what haven't we had a bit of drive so that research that's been going on for the past 10 20 years in this space that has been bubbling along there has been some very good work in this space um well and truly prior to to this particular pandemic and now we are going to see the benefits of that. We're almost there. These treatments are now starting to come through their stage two, stage three clinical trials. They'll be going through, you know, the TGA here in Australia and ATAGI and all those things and, and all the various, you know, WHO and all of the various bodies in other countries. But I think it is going to change the way that we are able to treat viruses and the way that we're able to respond to them. And as tough as it's been, that's going to become very important because this won't be the last one that we see. And I hope that there is a bit of, uh, I suppose, learning from everything that we've been through about how best to manage it and maybe uh, some more nuance in some of the restrictions and things that we may see next year if things get out of hand. Um, but clearly, whether people are vaccinated may become a relevant factor to what restrictions they live under, but also um, just a bit more nuance because the statewide really hard, aggressive lockdowns may have worked when you were trying to get the numbers back down to zero. But if we're going to accept that there's going to be new cases every day, then those really long, sustained, harsh restrictions may not hopefully be a factor next year. Yeah, and I think we've heard that in the language from from our politicians, uh, that there is no point, really. I mean, there's no point in having the really hard lockdowns for long periods of time that are completely widespread. We're in an environment where we do have a level of effective treatment. We, do ha we are better even in the healthcare sector of managing people, um, managing people's journey through this virus when they become very unwell, but we also have protection against that, wide, that widespread movement and damage from the virus. When we didn't have a vaccine, there was no alternative. Well, there was. There was two alternatives. You either did the hard lockdown and with all of the negatives that came with that, or you let this virus run rampant and tens of thousands of people die. And, and hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people would have long-term COVID effects that we still don't know what those long-term effects are going to be. And I would point people back to tuberculosis. Tuberculosis was a rampant virus. It was running through populations. It was unchecked. We know the kind of impact that people who had TB, particularly as children, had throughout their life. Um, we may well see this with this virus as well. So it's it's not as simple as just getting through this or you've caught it and you've got over it. For, for many people, that will be the case and that's great. But for far, far, far too many, it won't be. Um, that's what we don't want. And that's what we've been lucky enough to largely avoid here in Australia. 
um, we've just all had to bear the, bear the cost of making that choice, haven't we? Do you think the tough lockouts will come in for the 5 to 11-year-olds if they're not vaccinated? They'll be locked out of cafes, hospitality venues, that sort of thing? Because I just worry about you know, the children that may be negatively impacted yeah. on that because of the decisions of their parents. And I suppose it also raises debates about school. Should children have to be vaccinated in order to attend school? Yeah, unfortunately, I, I, I actually do. I really do, Mitch, and I'm not, I don't say that lightly um, or with any particular viewpoint on it, but I do think it is going to be in that case just because, you know, we look today, there was news came through that the Cook Islands has had their first case of coronavirus. They've managed to, to keep the virus out. They have, you know, they have all the advantages of being separate in the world and having their closed borders, but they also have a, a healthcare system that has absolutely no capacity to deal with this virus. So... What happened with that was that travellers came in from overseas. Everyone in that family was vaccinated. One child under the vaccination age was carrying the virus, was not, was completely, you know, no symptoms at all um, and asymptomatic. And then they've flown in and they've got the virus and now they've got that virus in that country. Are they able to contain it? God, I hope so. Um, I absolutely hope so. But that's the thing with the virus is that we sit there and go, oh, God, it's tough on kids. The virus doesn't care. It doesn't have emotions. It doesn't think about things. It doesn't weigh up the, the social good. Um, it just wants to replicate. It just wants to spread. And if there's, it's a bit like, you know, we had a big storms last week. If there's a weak point in your house and what, there's a lot of water around, the water will find a way. Viruses are exactly the same. They will find a way. Uh, so unfortunately, as much as people like to make this about politics and emotion and, and social equity and all of those things, what it is actually about is science. And the science says if there's a way, it will find it. So you need to remove the ways. Any predictions for the year coming up? Because it is going to be a huge year with two elections. And I think you've described the sort of issues in the past as to what you think will determine the results of those two elections. But it's going to be a huge time politically. And even just looking at the local publications, um, I saw in the Geelong Times, the first three full pages of that paper were taken up with political ads from the candidates. Uh, wow, yeah. to live in a marginal yep. seat. That's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. I do, do recall back in the day that that was, this was the time of year when you got every, every political party on the phone and they all wanted big ads. Um, they all wanted to be seen and they needed to be seen. Look, that's certainly the case. It's going to be a fascinating election. Uh, it's, it's very interesting to really see the kickoff of the Labor campaign over the weekend. Um, we've got Anthony Albanese keeping a very uh, steady line on some really nice base policies. I think they've been quite clever in the way that they framed their policy outlook at the moment. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's ticking off the boxes of, I think, what, you know, quite a lot of people want to hear without giving you enough detail to really tick people off and make themselves a target. Good mix, yeah. Yeah, Richard Miles is on the attack as the, you know, as the deputy, um, going out there and, and pointing out to everyone that how many, what's it, 18 times, I think it was in his speech when he called Scott Morrison a liar. So we know where that line's coming from. So that's the attack line. We've got the positive line of here's what's going forward. And we've got Scott Morrison, of course, saying, you know, never want to waste an opportunity. Keep your eyes on the windscreen, not on the rearview mirror. Um, I don't know that that one's going to fly, to be honest. I, I know that I know that Scott Morrison loves a marketing line, but um, I can't see that one hitting, hitting the mark <laughs> particularly well or certainly spreading. I think a lot of people do have their eyes very firmly on the, on the rearview mirror and I think it's going to be quite damaging. Um, interesting to see that, of course, the Liberal Party and Coalition in general are positioning themselves for this election in terms of a bit of house cleaning. And by house cleaning, you know, Alan Tudge, we're not looking at you, but we're looking at you. Mm. Um, that's what's happening at the moment. They're, they're looking for their weak points, going, how can we close those down? How can we control 
the conversation. What do we need to what do we need to cut off now so that we can just put something nondescript and, and small target in that space? Um, that's exactly what's happening right now. So federally, it's going to be really interesting. I, I still think, of course, it's going to be a lot about pandemic, uh, a lot of bit about that that restructure and that regrowth. People want to have a positive future to look forward to right now. We need a positive future to look forward to right now. Um, and I think climate change is going to be incredibly important on both sides of the fence. That's the thing. It's, there's there's people who feel very passionately uh, on either side, but I think there is a vast, vast ocean of voters out there that are just sitting there going, can we please just have the sensible plan moving forward? So, you know, what that, what that sensible plan is, what that means for voters in Queensland is, of course, very different to what it means for voters in Victoria. What it means in Brisbane is very different to what it means to people, you know, up in the northern, uh, the current area of, of Queensland as well. So micro areas within elections. Same thing here in Victoria. We've had population shift. We've got a city that needs to be rebooted. We've got regions that are now coming under pressure. We've got housing issue that is absolutely clamouring to be dealt with. Um, there's lots of small small little things bubbling away that are going to add up to big things come election weeks. But I think probably now more than ever, most people will have made up their mind about what they're doing at the ballot box two months before the election, at least, six weeks, two months at least. Um, and it'll be interesting because typically we see that last six weeks is the heavy campaign time. But I wonder whether they'll read the room and actually realise that people are making up their minds right now. Look, thank you so much for being on the program. It's been a wonderful year and, uh, of course, you've been involved in the program for many years, so we appreciate that very much and looking forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you. It's always a pleasure, Mitch. Take care over the break. I hope everyone has a safe and happy and relaxing break. And, you know, I hope we all get that barbie out the backyard. Yes, absolutely. And hope for good weather on Christmas for that barbecue as well. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Uh, Davina Thank Montgomery you. with us there. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.